This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the, the Big, Big Dinosaur, Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast, where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we'll be talking about Alvarezsaurus and some dinosaur news. But just quickly before the news, thanks to all our Patreon donors. For those of you who might be interested in finding a way to support the I Know Dino podcast, please check out our Patreon page, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash I Know Dino. We have a short video that explains what it's all about and the kind of rewards that we give as well as the goals that we're trying to reach. Yep. First in the news is an article titled Chemical Experimental and Morphological Evidence for Diagenetically Altered Melanin in Exceptionally Preserved Fossils. It was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences by Caitlin Collieri and many others, including the original author, Dr. Jacob Vinther, of the 2008 study we mentioned last time in episode 41, which discussed melanosomes in the fossil record for the first time. He was a senior author on this paper. So this paper had very similar results to the paper we talked about back in episode 41, and the authors say that they quote, show that melanin is preserved in a number of soft-bodied fossils, but its burial under high pressure and temperature for millions of years after its original chemistry, end quote. Basically what they're saying is that it's a little bit difficult to identify these melanosomes because they are stressed so much during the fossilization process that they don't necessarily look exactly like melanosomes would if they weren't put through this, you know, this nasty process. So basically what the scientists did was they put specimens through high temperature and pressure to simulate the fossilization process, and then they compared their results to real fossils. They used some very interesting specimens, including frog eyes, frog skin, bat hair, and feathers to look for melanosomes. In the last article we talked about, they were only looking at feathers and hair, so... A little bit more in depth. They used similar analysis to the article we talked about in episode 41, and they tested the chemical composition of the melanosomes as well as looked at the arrangement of them. And interestingly, they found that both extinct and extant or still living specimens show a combination of eumelanin and pheomelanin, and not just one or the other as was previously thought. We mentioned in the previous podcast that eumelanin is supposed to be for black pigment, and pheomelanin is for that reddish or reddish-brown pigment. So a combination of them is what they found in most of these specimens, meaning that it wasn't all just black or reddish-brown. It was usually somewhere a little bit in between. So 
Doctoral student Caitlin Collieri at Virginia said, quote, We have now studied the tissues from fish, frogs, and tadpoles, hair from mammals, feathers from birds, and ink from octopus and squids, end quote, and, quote, they all preserve melanin, so it's safe to say that melanin is really all over the place in the fossil record, end quote. So when she's talking about squid, what she's actually doing is citing an earlier study that found chemically intact melanin in about 10% of Jurassic cephalopod ink sacs. Quote, for me personally, color patterns are also really interesting. I'd like to see the extinct relatives of giraffes because giraffes have such a distinct color pattern. So it would be really cool to see what those guys look like, end quote. The authors used a combination of Toph Sims and electron microscopy to study the samples, just like the earlier paper we talked about in episode 41. They elaborate on the technique, saying that the layout of the melanosomes can show patterns and even iridescent nanostructures, which they think they might have found on one of the feathers. So, based on their studies, you can infer that there is a possibility that we can take this research a step farther than just hair and feathers and determine the color of a dinosaur's skin or maybe even their eyes as well. So this could be very useful for behavioral information as well as satisfying our curiosity because color could give insight into how they identified mates and also predator-prey relationships. In modern animals, we see a lot of different colors depending on whether they're predators or preys and kind of groupings of those. They also conclude that they believe they've shown that the structures they are talking about is not simply fossilized microbes, just like the study we talked about in episode 41. And they think that the ratio of eumelanosomes and pheomelanosomes is more evidence to that point. In other news-related items, Yahoo posted a short about three-minute video with Paula Frolick, the editor-in-chief, at a dinosaur site in the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. And the site is Bionazag, a.k.a. Flaming Cliffs, and it's famous because Roy Chapman Andrews found dinosaur eggs there in the 1920s, which proved that dinosaurs laid eggs. Most sites like this apparently would be roped off, but in Mongolia, you're allowed to walk around and poke around as much as you want. And according to Paula's guide, you lick the rocks to figure out if it's bone or not. And if it's sticky, it's bone. If it's not, it's rock. Though she admitted that her guide may have been joking. Any bones that you find there must be taken to a museum or reported to the government. And we'll post a link on our blog so you can watch the video for yourself. There's one more interesting paper that was published recently. This one titled, Insight on the Anatomy, Systematic Relationships, and the Age of Early Cretaceous Ankylopelexian Dinosaur Dakotodon Lakotaensis. It was published in the journal Peer J by Clint Boyd and Darren Pagnack. So to summarize it, basically a new iguanodont was discovered in a museum. <laughs> We've talked about cases like this before in the past where something sat in a museum misidentified or unidentified for a long time. In this case, it was originally found in the 1970s by Louis Rossau, who found it on his property and donated it to the Museum of Geology at the South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. The fossil was found in the Lakota Formation in the Black Hills of South Dakota in the United States. In 1989, researchers at the museum described it as Iguanodon lakotaensis, which is just the species name they came up with, when they weren't yet classifying it as its own genus. In 2008, it was determined to be its own genus, and in 2014, they rediscovered the original site of the fossil discovery, 
and many details of both of these items are laid out in the paper. They also re-described the fossils, including a partial skull, lower jaws, teeth, and three vertebrae, some of which were misidentified. They also corrected some inaccuracies from earlier descriptions of the fossils. The most interesting looking part is definitely the partial skull, which basically goes from just below the eye to the end of the snout, and includes two rows of the upper teeth. The fossil has been named Dakotodon lakotaensis, named after the Lakota Formation in South Dakota where it was found. The specimen is between 127 and 135 million years old and is the only one of its species known to exist. Quote, Mr. Rossow discovered an exceedingly important specimen, the only of its type known worldwide. The cranial anatomy of Dakotodon is revealing a great deal about the evolution of these herbivorous dinosaurs between the late Jurassic and early Cretaceous periods, said Pagnick. And this is shown by the very long list of information and detail about the skull that they put in the paper, which is very interesting, but it's a bit too heavy to get into here. So you can check out the link on our blog if you're interested. Rowan University in New Jersey is buying a 65-acre quarry for $2 million, and this quarry has sea creature fossils from animals that lived at the same time as dinosaurs. The quarry is behind a shopping center only four miles from the university and will be named the Rowan University Fossil Quarry. Kenneth Blackovara, a paleontologist from the university, said that when the dinosaurs died out was the hottest time in Earth's history with really high sea levels, so being able to study this site will help us learn how nature changes with rising temperatures and sea levels. In Dinosaur Media, Marky via email recommended to us a dinosaur novel called The Dinosaur 4 by Jeff Jones, and here's the description. Ten strangers trapped in time. A ticking sound fills the air as Tim McGregor enters the Daily Edition Cafe to meet his new girlfriend for coffee. Moments later, the cafe is transported 67 million years back in time, along with everyone inside. Time is running out as ten unlikely companions search for a way home, while one member of the group plots to keep them all in the past. Who will survive? And this book has actually been on my reading list for a while, and now that we've gotten a solid recommendation, I'm even more excited to read it. In Dinosaur Games, Liam via Twitter told us about Dino Run, a game on Steam, and it's a multiplayer racing game where you play as dinosaurs. It's somewhat similar to the game that you can play when Google fails to load and you can press the space bar, and then you become a T-Rex that runs and you jump over cactus. But this game is more involved. There are more levels and backgrounds and, of course, dinosaurs, and I think it's currently on sale on Steam. On the Awesomer, you can watch a short 30-second animation involving a dinosaur. It's funny and unexpected, and not to give too much away, but not everything is as it seems. And that's all I can say about it without basically telling you what's in the video, but we'll post a link on our blog so you can watch it for yourself. Lastly, for our listeners near Elkins, West Virginia, Davis and Elkins College will be presenting the Dinosaur Musical on October 21st, 22nd, and 25th. It's a musical comedy set at the end of the Cretaceous after a meteor hits Earth. The dinosaurs sign a pact called the Treaty of Meat, and there's some peace between the herbivores and carnivores. But then a new Tyrannosaurus King takes power and goes on a rampage, and the herbivores start an underground dinosaur resistance. 17 students make up the cast, and tickets cost $10. If you're in the area and you have some time, please go see it and then tell us how it is, because it sounds awesome. We saw a play called Jurassic Park with a Q, 
while we were living in the New York area. That was pretty fun too. Yeah, that one was interesting. I was expecting dinosaur suits or something, but it was just people in regular clothes. And it involved the idea of dinosaurs changing gender, like they did in the Jurassic Park movie, and what it would have been like to be a dinosaur going through that. Very entertaining. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, Mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. (laughs) Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On to our dinosaur of the day, Alvarezsaurus which we first learned about actually looking on Saurian's blog. And if you recall, Saurian is a game currently in development. We had a good interview with members of the development team a few weeks back. So Alvarezsaurus, the name means Alvarez's lizard, and it lived in the late Cretaceous. It was found in the Bajo de la Carpa formation in Argentina, named by Jose Bonaparte in 1991. But it was named after the historian Don Gregorio Alvarez, This is not to be confused with Luis Alvarez, who is the physicist and amateur paleontologist who came up with the theory that an asteroid killed the dinosaurs. So Luis Alvarez and his son Walter, a geologist, came up with the Alvarez theory of extinction that a large asteroid hit Earth and caused a mass extinction. But again, not named after them, named after the historian Don Gregorio Alvarez. The type species is Alvarezsaurus calvoy. Alvarezsaurus was about six and a half feet or two meters long and weighed about 45 pounds or 20 kilograms. It was bipedal with a long tail and probably a fast runner. It had long legs, long feet, short arms, and a long S-shaped neck. And its tail, again, 
It was very long. It was actually over half the dinosaur's length. It probably had feathers or at least feather-like structures. No skull has been found, but scientists have found vertebrae, a scapula, partial pelvis, and partial hind limbs and teeth. It had small, unserrated teeth, and it may have eaten insects. It possibly used its arms for digging, though its arms would have been too short to dig burrows, so it may have clawed into rotting logs for termites. Claws could have been used to dig out the holes in termite mounds and then pick off the termites, but interestingly, modeling studies don't really support this theory, so it's not completely clear what the claw was used for. You can see Alvarosaurus in the Discovery Channel show Dinosaur Planet, where it's shown as a predator of a juvenile Saltosaurus, though they didn't actually live at the same time. Alvarosaurus lived about 5 million years earlier than Saltosaurus. At one point, Alvarosaurus was thought to be a flightless bird, but now it's considered a dinosaur. And actually, at one point, all members in its family, Alvarosauridae, were thought to be birds. Alvarosaurus is one of the larger ones in its group. The type genus is the least complete and least understood in the Alvarosaurus group. Close relatives that are better known include Shivuya and Mononychus, which is considered to be more of a bird than a dinosaur. It was different from other carnivorous dinosaurs at the time, again, because it might have eaten insects. Another Alvarosaurid from the same formation is Achillosaurus. One study from 2012 said that Achillosaurus may be a synonym for Alvarosaurus, though many people still consider it its own genus. Alvarosauridae is a family of small dinosaurs with long legs, so they could probably run fast. They're feathered with small, powerful arms with one digit, and each digit had a large claw. And they lived about 88 to 66 million years ago. They've been found in North and South America as well as Asia. They vary in length, 20 to 80 inches or half to 2 meters, though some may have been larger. So they ranged in size from the size of pigeons to turkeys. They're very specialized. They have small bird-like hands, large arm muscles, which would have been good for digging or tearing, tubular snouts, long jaws, and small teeth. They're fast. They probably use their claws to dig out ants and termites, but... Again, their arms were so short they would have had to lie on their chests against the nests to reach the insects. So it's also possible they did something else, but it's not clear what that would have been yet. But one reason scientists think that they might have dug for ants or termites is that mammals such as anteaters have stout, clawed arms and they're toothless, which are similar to and they're similar to Alvarosaurus. But the only way to know for sure what Alvarosaurus ate would be to find a coprolite or some kind of evidence that shows what it ate. They were thought to be the earliest known flightless birds, but now researchers think they were primitive members of Manoraptora. So in 1993, another alvarosaur was discovered called Mononychus olecranus, which means one claw. And even then, the family Alvarosauridae was thought to be flightless birds based on the derived feathers they had unique to birds. Other members of the group later discovered were found to reinforce this idea until Shuvia mongoliensis in 1998 was mistakenly described as being more derived, causing this group to be thought of as modern birds, a crown group. And one species, Shuvia deserti, had preserved down-like feathery structures. These features were thought to be uniquely bird-like, as well as other features, such as the elongated sternum, the palatine, cervical, and caudal vertebrae. But an analysis in 1999 found that alvarosaurids were somewhat related to ornithomimosauria, the ostrich dinosaurs, and that these bird-like characteristics came from convergent evolution. So in 2007, they were placed as the most basal group in Manoraptora. And our fun fact of the day goes back to our first news article where we were talking about different melanosomes, and I briefly mentioned that squid ink 
was around in the Jurassic period, which put me on a tangent of <laughs> cephalopod research. And it turns out cephalopods, which are the group that includes things like nautilus and cuttlefish and squid and octopus, date all the way back to the Cambrian period, which is way before the dinosaurs. But the first known squid are actually from the Jurassic era, and that means that dinosaurs were potentially eating calamari, or squid may have been eating small dinosaurs, or maybe both. I tried to find out if giant squid or colossal squid were around back then, but I guess no one's found any huge fossilized squid beaks, so I guess I don't know yet. Interesting. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Just a quick reminder that we are on Patreon if you want to check it out. Our page is patreon.com slash I Know Dino, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks for listening, and until next time. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader